Okay, so I am prepared to teach the story of Gideon again this morning. One of the things that I was going to do, because there's so much that's relevant to the walk that we have in Christ through the Old Testament stories. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about this week was uh, boldness in Christ with or in God that, that Gideon showed some lack of. And I was reminded of a story with uh, Dave Wilkerson, uh, um, a thing I read years ago uh, about a, a mission. And God just didn't give me liberty to do that. Um, and so I X'd it out of my notes. Uh, I prepared them. I got rid of them. And then Kyle called me last night and said, I want to speak on boldness. And I said, oh, thanks, Dad. That's why, that's why you didn't want that in the notes. I kept trying to get it in my notes, and it wouldn't go in there. Okay, so uh, let's go. I'm going to go kind of quick. Here we are in the Middle East. We're talking about that little dot right there. That is the center of all the happenings in the world. And we talked last week about Gideon, and the Lord said to Gideon through the, uh, the angel of the Lord came down and spoke with Gideon and said he is a mighty man of valor, which was not true yet, but God saw that it would be. And starting back in verse 25, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal, that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Now, I want to talk about the obedience that is needed in leadership when you're doing something for Christ. The first, there's a couple interesting things here that I, I, I can't point them all out, but here's the first one. He, he designates, he says, take your father's young bullet, even the second. Apparently, he had two. And he's telling Gideon to take the second. Now, a typical sacrifice can't be more than three years old because that's when they're in actual maturity. But he's telling Gideon to take a seven-year-old bull that is the youngest of the two. So these are both old bulls. He says, take the second one, the, the younger of the two, and I want you to sacrifice that to me. A couple interesting things. One is, by the time a bull is 10 or 12 years old, it's hard to use them for a breeding animal. So this is an animal that's very important to their family, and he's about to kill it because the other one's older. So this is a very, if you've ever raised livestock, the bulls that you have are very, very important to the line that you're breeding. And so he's about to kill that one. Another thing that's, that's going to go on here is that God has asked for a sacrifice that's seven years old. If you recall, they've been in sin for seven years. So God is going to kill this animal that was born when they walked away from God, and they've had seven years of judgment, and this thing will end that judgment with the death of this animal that's seven years old. So God's using that. And then he's going to have him throw down the altar with this bull, and so this is a relatively big altar, and then cut down the grove that is by it. Now the altar of Baal would look something like this. Baal was a, a god that had a calf face, now, the reason for that, and this is the world religion throughout time, the reason for that is Lucifer was a cherub, and a cherub has the face of an ox. We, we, we learned that, and I won't go through all the scripture, but a cherub has a, a face like an oxen, so the gods that they worshipped were the ox-faced gods, and they would take and offer children as sacrifice to these ox-faced gods. And so as, as this grove of Baal is up there, Gideon's supposed to go and take that bull. You can imagine throwing a rope around the neck of that thing 
and you get that bull to dig its feet in. It's a 2,000-pound animal, and they're tough. They're strong. Lean forward in the yoke and topple that thing over. That's a pretty big job for the night. Cut up all the branches and trees and to kill that thing. Well, obedience to God always has impact. When you step out and you're bold and you do what God's called you to do, it has impact in your life. It always will. The first impact that Gideon is going to fall into here is a financial standing. It's going to impact his money. You know, there's a lot of times that we aren't willing to step out for God because it's going to cost us personally. It's going to cost us money. Now, what might that look like? You can't go and and serve in the church because it might cost you hours at work or because it might cost your standing or you can't go to your employer and tell them that I can't do that because God has said such and such. I need to work on Sunday instead of meeting with the body of Christ the way the Lord commanded. Otherwise, it will affect the bottom line. There's all kinds of time that God has said, I want you and you say, I can't afford it. And God stops right there. Ends. I'm waiting for you. When you take that step forward, I'll be right there and we'll take the next step together. And as soon as you're ready to step out in boldness and say, Lord, everything I've got is yours and I'm going to honor you with it, then God steps right there with you and, and walks that journey with you. And the first thing God said to Gideon, Gideon, take your ox, go pull down the grove and then kill that one of two that you have huge financial i mean this is a starve to death issue not a not it's going to cost me a few extra hours of work this is we're killing the only young bull that we have the youngest of our herd it's a big deal and and the first impact is financial standing the next impact is that he's going to take an axe and cut down a sacred grove this is a beautiful place that the community goes to they go to enjoy the quiet and the peace and the tranquility as they pray to this false god. And he's going to go up there and cut these sacred grounds and knock this thing over that his family owns. This is an impoverished family, he's told us. So by going and doing this, he's creating a, a destruction in a place that was maybe the only place of pride for their family. It was a place of beauty and tranquility in the midst of the horror that was the occupation of the Midianites now he's going to go and he's going to cut that. He's going to, so he's got to, God's asking him to get rid of that thing of beauty. You know, God might ask for us to give up beautiful things that are in our lives that we want, things that bring peace and harmony and joy, and, but it's not God. And if it's not God, then it doesn't need to be an idol in your life and God will ask you to cut it down. The next thing is social standing. Here he said, he said, we are the least of the tribe of Midian. We, I mean, uh, uh, not tribe of Midian, Manasseh. We're the least of this tribe. We're the, we're the ones that are the poorest. And he said, how can you talk to me? I'm the least of my family who is the poorest in this, in this tribe. He said, how can you talk to me, Lord? And so he says, I want you to take that social standing that your whole area comes to your dad's hill and worships this God. I want you to take an ax to your social standing and destroy it. You say, man, I can't do that. I'll lose friends. I can't go out and tell them about Christ. They'll, they'll laugh at me. They'll turn their back on me. They won't respect me anymore. They'll think that I am just 
not honoring the, the, uh, my heritage, that I'm just honoring the white man's God because they've asked me to and that, that I'm going to honor this and do that. And, and the, the scripture says, I don't care if you destroy your social standing. I care that you embrace me and me alone. And so the next thing that he destroyed was social standing. Now, what are these things? Lust of the flesh, financial standing, lust of the eyes, a beautiful grove, a place to hang out, and the pride of life my social standing. So what is God asking of me? What does the impact of obedience have? Look at Peter's life. What is he doing? He's out fishing. Peter, leave your boats and everything you know. Come and follow me. Take up your cross, Peter, and follow me. And Peter did. But the first thing that he did was he set his nets down and let go of the thing he was doing for a living, and he followed Christ. You know, there's another man that came to Christ and said, hey, I want to go with you. Good. Sell everything you've got and come with me because I don't have a place to sleep. There's no place for the Son of Man to lay his head. So come out and camp with me in the dirt. The guy went away sorrowful because he had much goods. He wasn't willing to take the first step. How about Matthew? Matthew was a guy that had much wealth for the position that he had. Leave it and follow me. How about Paul? Paul, I want you to leave everything that you know. The people that have trained you, Gamaliel, you are at the highest standing. You might be the head of of the whole Pharisees and and their representative, but I want you to leave that, Paul, and I want you to follow me. Actually, I want you to leave your name, too, and your wealth and your prestige and everything. And Paul did, and after he took the first step, God with him. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Let it go. Let your life go. Let your standing go. Let everything you've got, give it to me, the Lord. How about Moses? Moses, the Bible says that he thought it was better to live for God than to have the riches of Egypt. That was the richest thing in the world. Moses was like the Rockefeller of Egypt. He was like the guy, the Vanderbilt, the guy with the money, and he turned it all down and he let it all go for God. And then God did something amazing through Moses. How about Jonah? Jonah wanted nothing more than revenge. He wanted revenge on the people that had killed his family and his nation. He wanted to see them suffer. And God said, no, Jonah, I want you to lay down your desire for revenge. And I want you to take up my mantle of forgiveness and take it to Nineveh. And Jonah said, "Uh -uh, I'm going the other way. God said, no, you're not. (laughs) You're going my way in the belly of a fish. And, and, but Jonah then repented, and he went, and he, not because he really wanted to, I think, but because God said, you're going to do it. Jonah went, and he served God, and he did what God told him to do. You know, the first thing that God asks of you, the first thing that, that God is going to ask of you when you're ready to step out in boldness before him is everything. Now, I know what you're thinking. The same thing that everyone, what? What? Everything? God wants everything but my needful things. But if I just have this microphone, my life would be better. Or this stand, or that truck, or these shoes, or that life, or that property. Lord, everything else but that thing. And then you know what God does? He ignores everything else. And he walks up to that thing. This? This? This is the thing you need? Then that's what I want. That's the most important thing to me now. You know why? Because it's the most important thing to you. Whatever is the most important thing that you have, that you say, God, everything but this relationship. 
God, everything but this home, everything but this address, everything but this. And it doesn't matter what you put after the but. That's the thing God wants. He wants everything from you. And you go, preacher, how can you say that? Paul had the same expression. He said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul said, you're going to say, what? Everything? And he goes, don't you know he bought it? He paid for it all. Listen, you were lost and on your way to hell. You were completely without hope. And he said, I will buy that mess that you've made of your life. I will purchase that garbage and I will make something beautiful out of it. But it's not yours anymore. Jesus bought it. It's his. And he says, I want all of it. And don't come to me and say everything but. Say everything. Peter 5 5, 1 Peter 5 5. Peter says, For God resisteth the proud and giveth, giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That means you come to God and you bow your head and you say everything. I give it to you. I give you me. And, and whatever I've got, any talent, any, any money, any hope, any time, Lord, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. And when it's your time, then you lift me back up. That's marriage. Father, I'm submitting my life to you. And I don't have the right to be happy anymore. I don't have the right, to, I don't have the God-given right to have a wife that submits to me and, and, and follows me. I have the right to love her. Because God gave me that right. He said, husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church. And there is no place that I can say, yeah, but she's A. See, God says, this is what I'm asking of you. And I say, Lord, it's yours. Whatever you want, it's yours. Everything I've got, it's yours. This is the great part of doing that. This is the part that follows the, in due time, he will exalt you. He says, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Friends, he doesn't just want the good things. He doesn't just want the wonderful and the light and the joy in your life. He wants the sorrow and the pain and the fear and the anxiety. He says, give that to me, all of it. Give it to me, and I will take it, and when it's time... I'm going to exalt you. You cast your cares on me. And here's why. Because I care for you. Friends, there is no bigger concept in the universe than God loves me. God loves me. There's no bigger thing, no more wonderful idea than God loves me. Friends, it's bigger than gravity. It's bigger than light. It's bigger than, than anything that God, the creator of the universe, loves even me. He says, listen, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. Like Kyle said, when you do it, when you say, no, God, anything but that conversation, I don't want to do it. And he says, no, that's the one now. But I can't, no, that's the one now. But in my mind, no, that, okay, God. Okay, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to your altar, and I'm giving it to you. Oh, it feels good. Oh, it's, uh, it's and, and good job, son. Oh, that's a blessing. Oh, wonderful. And you go, that, why don't I do that all the time? Why don't I, why do I ever tell him no? 
It doesn't make sense. He's so good to me. And tomorrow we have to learn the lesson again and again and again. I'm, I don't know. I'm still learning that lesson. I'm still learning to hand it over to God and to say, Lord, it's yours. But you know what? Every time I take a step, he takes the step with me and he says, okay, let's go the next step. Now let's go the next step. We call that growing in the, in the Lord. We call it walking in the spirit. Friends, there's nothing better obedience and leadership he says for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of god not self-willed not soon angry in the new testament if you want to be a leader in the body of christ he says here's what you need to be you need to be blameless as the steward of god because you are stewarding not your stuff god's stuff god's stand god's microphone god's people god's asphalt this is god's stuff and you're stewarding god's stuff so he said, you need to be blameless, and you need to not be self-willed and not soon angry. You know why? Because if, if you're self-willed, then you have stuff that you haven't given to God yet. Give it to him, and let his will be sovereign in your life. 1 Timothy 3.2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. First thing God says of Gideon, Gideon, I want you to cut down the grove, to tear down the altar, build an altar for me, and then burn that cow in my name. I want you to give your time, your life, your energy, your plans for the future, give them to me, and then I'll give you back everything you need. He said, I'm going to keep moving faster. Okay, Exodus 34. Why is it so important that they cut down this grove? Christ, our God, told the Israelites early on, he said, I'm making a covenant with you, uh, with the inhabit um, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou goest, lest it be a snare in the midst of thee, but that ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is jealous, he is a jealous God. He is the noun jealous. He says, My name, my proper name is jealous. I am jealous. I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for your time, your attention, your money, your hope, your desires, your dreams, your marriages. I am jealous for you, and I want you to give me that. And you do not put an idol before me. Now, what is that idol? Anything that you put before me. Nothing goes before me. That's called idolatry. That's called iniquity. I am first in your life. And you go, God, you're being kind of jealous. That's my name. That's my name. I'm a jealous God. The verb and the noun, I'm a jealous God. So when, when Gideon gets ready to serve God and God calls Gideon out and says, you're a mighty man of valor, here's the first thing I want you to do. Open the word of God and be obedient to it. That's, that's the first thing. I don't know how often I've had somebody tell me that they want to serve God more. I want God to do something in my life. Are you being obedient? Well, I want to be. But are you being obedient? Are you walking with the Lord? Now, I know Christians sin. I sin. I do things that are wrong at times, and, and I repent towards God. That's, uh, that is something that we do, and God loves us anyway. But my question is, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking with God? And if not, don't expect to take the next step. The Word of God will tell you don't lie, and if you're lying, if you're a liar, stop it. Just stop it, and then move forward with the Lord. The first thing he's asking Gideon to do. Don't go out and fight armies for me, Gideon. And he go, well, that's the issue. The, the issue is the children of the east. They're just, no, the first issue to take care of 
is the idols in your own life. Get rid of them. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3 talks about Hezekiah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David did. He removed the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he called it uh, Neshatan so Hezekiah when he comes to the throne he does something radical first thing he does break down the altar second thing cut down the groves the places that they worship then he went and took the staff that Moses made now would anybody like to have this staff that Moses made because I kind of would I think that'd be pretty cool, all right? They had the staff. Now, this thing is hundreds of years old at this time. They have the staff that Moses made while in the wilderness that healed them from snake bites. I think that would be an awesome historical relic to have my hands on. I think it would be great. The first thing Hezekiah does is he takes a hammer and breaks that thing into pieces. Well, that's an odd behavior. Why would he do that? You see, you have an issue, and that is there is sin between you and God. And God's design and desire from the very beginning from Adam, what was it? What did he want from Adam? To go for a walk. Just walk with me. Let's go for a walk in the morning and see your garden and enjoy your presence and my presence. Let's be friends, Adam. Let's go together. Submit your will to me because I am God, and let's go together. So God's design for you is the same as it always has been. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Come hang out with me. Talk to me. And it's always been an act of faith. That is the method in which God designed for us to deal with him, an act of faith. Here's our problem. We like icons, an image, a thing, a brass serpent, a cross. I've got a cross on the wall right here behind me. We like stuff like that because it gives us a focus, a point, a thing that we can be reminded of God. And that's okay to have something that reminds us. The issue is when our faith, our veneration is placed in the icon. When we come to, uh, we've got a cross out here on the hill, and I like standing out there and praying for the, the community around us. I like standing by the cross, but friends, I don't bow toward that cross because I'm not praying to that cross. I'm praying to, to Jesus, who hung on a cross a long time ago. And, and so when I'm, when I'm out here, I physically don't bow to that cross. If I bow, and I do, when I get on my knees on that grass, I look this way, or I look that way, or I look this way, because I will not have an icon, a thing that I'm praying to. I will not venerate an item and say, this item is a piece of God. Now, the idea is that God will animate that item with his spirit. The, the church, the Catholic church has done this. We know how you, uh, the idols uh, cry or bleed from their hands or whatever the idol, uh, the idol will do. And then you come and you bow and you venerate that idol, idol and you say God has, has filled this idol. And that's not true. God doesn't fill idols. God doesn't use icons. God says, I want you to worship me and me alone. You see, God says, this is wrong. Don't do it that way. Don't have a thing that you worship. You worship me alone. Now, it is, it is sometimes passe to point out. It's, it's people don't appreciate pointing out that icons and idols are wrong and that you shouldn't venerate them. There's a fine line. Be careful. Be careful that God doesn't become jealous of a thing that you hold 
that you don't hold it up as him and recognize that it's not him, that he is invisible and eternal and hasn't been made with hands. So nothing of him will be made of hands. Second Kings, remember what he said? Here was the problem. Here is when the brass serpent went from a brass serpent that was a piece of history and cool to an idol that needed to be broken up with a hammer. For unto for uh, the very bottom of verse 4, for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. They took this brass idol, they put it up in church, they walked up to that thing, and they burnt incense to that brass serpent. Now it became sin. Now it became a thing that was supplanting God. Friends, if we have a thing, a picture, and we hang that picture of Jesus, and we take candles and light candles in front of that picture so that, that God will look favorably on us by, by our veneration of that picture, that's sin. That's idolatry. And God says, don't do it. I don't want to see it. Okay, Baal's end. We're going to have to go a few minutes late. I'll, I won't go too late. Okay, throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. So this was the commandment that God gave Gideon. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night. Gideon is not a bold guy. Now, we see this over and over again in Gideon's life, that he is not particularly bold to start out. So God says, go and cut down the grove and tear down the idol. When God says to do it, if Gideon went and did it, we, we, you know other stories where a prophet came and said, what you're doing is wrong, and the king said, grab him. So the king grabbed the prophet. What happened? His arm goes, and shrivels. Because when God tells you to do something, he's going to take care of you. And Gideon's God's man. If he went up there early that morning and there's people there praying and he lassoes that idol, hooks it to his bull and pulls it over, God's going to take care of Gideon. If the whole Midianite army comes and chases Gideon while he's doing it, then angels will stand up and cut them down. God is going to protect his man while he's doing what God told him to do. But Gideon's afraid, so he waits till the night. That was okay as long as he's obedient. So he waits till the night because he fears the house. And then he goes up there. This is a big job. Takes 10 guys. They start cutting trees down with an axe. If you've ever done that, that takes a little bit. They fall this grove. They drop all the trees. They lasso that idol. They pull it over. Its little head breaks off. Its horns break off. Then they, they take those logs and they stack them up like a big log cabin. Then they take this 2,000-pound bull and they lead it over there, cut its throat, starts bleeding out. 10 guys pick up this big animal and throw it up on top. Split the thing open, take its innards out, spread it out the way an, uh, a sacrifice should be done. Light the thing on fire. Flames go up 20 feet. Big old groves under there burning on top of it. It comes back down. Early the next morning, here's Gideon and the seven or ten men. They're walking back down. They've got soot. They've got pieces of gut stuck to them. They've got some blood and hair and sweat and a cut from the... And they're walking back down through the community. And the men of the city rose early in the morning. Behold, the altar of Baal was cast down. The grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. So early in the next morning, the uh, second bullock's still up there burning. There's still smoke in the fire. The men in the city are going, what happened? And the guy goes, wait a minute. One of them says, wait a minute. I saw Gideon this morning. He was a wreck. 
he was like bloody and like soot on him. And he had 10 guys. And they're like, so they asked, Did you? yeah, I saw that too. Get one of the servants. Word goes around it, maybe it takes a half a day. Find out Gideon done it. Gideon, the one that did this, he tore this altar down and he burned it. So the men said to one another, who hath done this thing? When they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done it. And the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Now remember, Gideon's dad owned the grove. So Gideon comes home wee hours of the morning, maybe washes off at the well outside and gets a little of that mess off of him, goes inside and lays down, and he's trembling. He's afraid of the men. Remember, that's why he did it at night. And he doesn't know what he's going to do and what's going to happen. And he's laying there, and, and the men come knocking on the door. This is probably when Daddy found out about it. You know, he's there. He's eating his mush. It's just a few minutes before daylight. He's getting ready to go out and, and uh, try to get some more wheat and things done. And bang, 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 open the door, and there's like 40 guys from the village. Your son burnt down our, our grove and, and tore down our altar and get him out of here and we're going to kill him. You know, God's going to protect Gideon because Gideon did what God told him to do. I think the Spirit of God moves Joash at this point because he acts completely different than a guy that would grow a grove and have it on his property. He acts in accordance with the Word of God. And Joash said to all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him that he will uh, that he, he that will plead for him? Let him be put to death whilst it's yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. And therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. So Joash sounds so much like Elijah at this point. You know, God is not above gloating at false gods. God is not above making fun of some false gods. He's not above poking at them and joking about them and harassing them. Remember, Elijah, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe somebody needs to go wake him up to come down and light a fire. Maybe he's on vacation. You know, Elijah is, is, is walking with the Spirit of God, and God's directing Elijah I hope you all know the story of the 400 prophets of Baal trying to bring fire out of heaven. And, and Elijah's there making fun of them all day. They're cutting themselves and crying. And, and so, oh, God, Baal, just make the fire. And the whole time Elijah's going, ha, ha, And God's not above that. You know why? Because these false gods deserve derision. They deserve our scorn. When you walk up to a grove, and this is, this is an ancient holy site where this spirit of this volcano, that gives my scorn and derision. I do not respect that. I do not look at that and say, well, I'm going to walk quietly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through this grove peacefully so I don't disturb the spirits. And I go, nah, 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 nah. I was down in Honduras and years ago, and, and we're walking through uh, the uh, ruins of the uh, one of the... Um, the uh, uh, Mayans, the Mayan uh, temple down there. And this guy comes up to me. He goes, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah? How'd you know? He says, because I was over there and your kids are running from one pile of rocks to the other going, that's a false god. <laughs> and then they run to the next one. <clears throat> and he goes, I'm a Christian too. And I said, oh, great. And we fellowship together. And it's because my kids grew up with me going, nah, 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 nah. That's a false god, and I have no respect for that idol. I went to uh, Thailand. 
And when you walk into the temple, you're supposed to take your shoes off. No, thank you. I'll stay outside. I will not call this holy ground. You're supposed to roll the prayer wheels when you walk by. No, thank you. I will have prayer to God alone, and I'm not going to touch your idol. And I'm not going to recognize and give it glory and fear that thing because it's not, you know, there's power in people fearing night marchers. When you fear a night marcher and you put some stuff up to protect you from that night marcher, God says, who you will fear? Fear me alone. Don't fear any of these false gods. Friend, we live on an island with a lot of false gods. We live in a culture with a lot of false gods. Whether it's money or whether it's an idol, do not, do not give that thing respect. Do not give it honor. When we were, another kid's story, when we, were in, we went to the Natural History Museum in, in uh, Chicago, and we went to the Tahitian, or not the Tahitian, the Polynesian uh, display because uh, I'd been to New Guinea and I was showing the kids this is the thatch stuff that we lived in and, and the way that we did the roof and stuff. And, and we walk out and there's the curator, you know, Chicago, um, you know, got her degree and stuff. And we were looking, it happened to be a totem pole. And that we walk out, my daughter Laura is probably four or five years old. And she goes, oh, you're looking at the totem pole. Do you know what that is? And Laura goes, yep, it's a false god. And her face is like, she's like, no, that's a totem pole. Lord's like, nope, it's a false god. And uh, she tried a couple times, and Lord goes, no, I know, it's a false god. Teach your kids, friends, teach your kids, don't, don't respect, don't respect idols. Don't fear them. Don't walk in trepidation of them. Walk in victory and in power. Gideon's name was Jerubbabel. That's the Hebrew right below it, the Baal fighter. Gideon went to war with the Midianites. He went to war with, with the, the, uh, the children of the east and the Am- Am- Why do I trip on that name? Amalekites. He goes to war with these guys, and when he goes into war, on one side you have, here's the children of the east, and on the other side we have the Baal fighter. You know, I mean, he, this is what his name is. So when he goes and he fights these people, Who's fighting them? The one that stands with Jehovah against Baal, against the false gods. Friends, let that be you. Let that be how you're known. Let that be your name. There is no equality. There is no no normalcy between God and the gods of this world. Don't respect them. And then the fleece. So the Midianites, the Amalekites, the children of the east, were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. This is the valley of Jezreel up here. The orange lines are where these children of the east came to fight. They marched up there. And all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went and pitched over in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. And Abenezer, Abizir was gathered after him, and he sent his messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher, unto Zebulun, unto Naphtali, and they came out to meet him. So here's the purple lines. Gideon gets up on the hill there where he destroyed that altar. He takes his shofar, his his goat horn, and blows that thing, and that is a, a, a call to the children of Israel, meet here, we're going to war. So all these children of Israel start coming out of the woodwork, coming out of the hills, out of the caves they've been living in, and they start gathering together here on the south side of the valley of Jezreel, over uh, they're, they're south of Tibor, and, and the armies of, of Midian are on the north side 
of this thing as they're gathering together. And Gideon said uh, unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it shall be dry upon the earth beside, then I shall know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. So uh, Gideon here has no doubt of what God's called him to do. God has said, I'm going to deliver him. Right here, verse uh, 36, he says, if you're going to do it like you said you would, right? So Gideon knows the word. He knows what's been told, but he's still a little afraid. So he takes a wool. Have you ever held a sheep's wool, like a, a fleece? It's, it's not like a cowhide or something. It's, it's three or four inches of just gnarly wool that's, if you clean it good, it's nice and soft. It's a great blanket, something to lay babies on. Um, are, 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 you, people use them still today to keep from getting bed sores because they're soft and absorbable and they can hold a lot. And so you take this wool and you lay it out and it holds a lot of water. He says, look, let the dew fall on the sheepskin and not on the ground if you're going to. Well, God answers in spades. And so it was, he rose up early uh, in the, on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wrung out the dew of the fleece, a bowl full of water. This is not a little bowl. So he takes this thing and this fleece is just sopping wet in the morning. The ground around is bone dry. He picks the thing up, he wrings it into a bowl and a bowl full of water comes out of the fleece. Pretty obvious answer here, right? God is with this. God is going. So he's there. He's blown the horn. People are all coming. Gideon's like, okay, this was cool when it was me and 10 guys cutting down a grove, and that was, that was okay. There are 10,000 people out here with swords, and they're expecting me to know what to do. Can you imagine the, the fear? Do you know what happens if you get that wrong? 10,000 people die. That's scary. Like your nation is on the line here. And so Gideon says, let's, let's put a fleece before God. So he puts the fleece down. Okay, God answers again. Big pile of water. God's definitely in. And Gideon said to the Lord, let not thine anger be hot against me. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Now let it be dry only upon the fleece, and upon the ground let it be dew. So he goes... Let's, let's do it again, but we're going to do it the other way, just in case dew somehow soaks all the water in like the two acres around it, and, and it may be a natural phenomenon. So we're going to do it again and let everything else be wet and the, and the fleece be dry. So he does it again, and God answers again. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew all uh, dew on all the ground. Now, God gives Gideon space because God is using Gideon for this time and for this thing. God lets him almost tempt God in my mind. Uh, he lets him ask for this fleece. He does it. He asks for it again. I would be afraid to do this. I have been afraid to do this. There has been times that I have felt called by God to do something. And like Kyle says, I'm like, uh, I don't know. And I say, you know what? I'll just put a fleece before the Lord. And every time that I, that thought has crossed my mind, the Spirit of God has said, do you not know or do you not want? I've never put a fleece out. I've never done a thing and said, God, do this, and then I'll know. Because the Spirit of God 
is saying, yeah, this is what you need to do. And I go, I don't want to, so I'm going to put this out and test you. Now, God does that. There was a guy that, uh, I won't tell the story because ah, I'm out of time. But, but the, 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 suffice to say, God does answer those prayers. God does direct that way. And if, if that's what you need to do to follow God, do that. But be careful not to tempt God. Be careful to recognize that you don't need God to yell at you. You need a still, small voice, and then be directed by that. And then don't get arrogant if God uses you. God is using Gideon here. I don't think Gideon is some titan of faith. I mean, he was beating out wheat, right? And then he trepidatiously moved forward to do what God told him to do. And then he drug his feet so hard his knees got dirty to, to, to move to the next step. And then he crawls over the finish line. But God is determined to use Gideon because this is when he needs to be used. This is there. You know, whenever I have the, the inclination, the natural inclination to go, God, me and you, pretty cool, huh? What well, we did, pretty tight, aren't we? He goes, you remember Balaam's donkey? Yeah. Yeah, I can use a donkey. It takes you off your high horse. It puts you right on your low donkey. God does not need me. He doesn't need my ability to study. He doesn't need my ability to, to quote facts or to tell a story or to be comfortable talking. God needs me to be available. God needs me to put my idols on his altar and say, burn them. Now what? What have you got for me? You know, God is the director and we are the directed. We are the ones. Paul said it like this. Can the pot look at the potter and say, why have you made me like this? I wanted to be a beautiful vase, and you made a toilet. How dare you? And the potter says, I needed a toilet. A vase wouldn't work well for that job. I needed you for a different job. And so I've made you thus. When people have come and said, Nathan, why? Why do you hang out and do this this arduous task of whatever it is. Nathan, why don't you quit? Why don't you do something else? You know, God could use you in the Philippines or in here or in there. Why aren't you? And I say, because that's not what God's told me to do. That's not where God's directed me. God's directed me to this ministry. And I don't mean this ministry, but in my past, God has directed me to go here or go there or do this or do that. And sometimes I disagree with him. I, prom- I do. I go, God, why? This is, no. No, I would, uh, I would be better to go because, you know, man, I like living in the woods. I want to go to New Guinea. I want to go to, the, you know, South America or something and, like, build a house with an axe and, like, you know, preach to the cannibals. But that's not what God called me to do. So be what God's called you. Listen to him. And then take your desire, your hopes, your dreams, your money, your life, put it on that altar before him and say, Lord, obedience. I want to do obedience to you and whatever that thing that you called me to do. Okay, I preached this on fast forward. If I missed some stuff or didn't make sense, I'm sorry. But this was an hour message, and I, I got it done in 45 minutes. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy and holiness and goodness, and thank you for using us mortals, Father, us donkeys. Thank you for using us to speak your words and to do what you've told us to do in a way that glorifies your name. Lord, we want to just glorify you because you are worthy to be praised and to be lifted up. 
Father, direct us according to your will and for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.